Matter of the Spirit is the quarterly justice journal of the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center. This article appeared in the fall 2020 issue on COVID-19. Before we rush to save the world, don't step over the people in our backyard. By Travis Russell, SJ. Travis Russell, SJ, of the Jesuits West Province, works at the Jesuit Conference Office of Justice and Ecology while studying for an executive MBA at Georgetown University. He was born in Roseburg, Oregon. Please contact him via Twitter at trusselsj or email russell at jesuits.org. I have an icon on my wall that I pray with. It is written by the iconographer Kelly Lattimore and is titled, Don't Call Me a Saint, an obvious play on Dorothy Day's famous quip, Don't Call Me a Saint, I Don't Want to Be Dismissed That Easily. The icon depicts Dorothy seated with a man who is homeless. A small wooden table is placed between them. On the tabletop sits a bowl of warm soup and a torn off piece of crusty bread. Dorothy looks directly at the man as she rests her arm on his shoulder, bridging the small space between them. The man appears disheveled with a graying beard and a cup of coffee in his hand. A gold halo surrounding the man's head, however, reveals it is Christ seated with Dorothy, although one wonders whether anyone besides her has noticed. His eyes are tired, distant, and lost. When I pray, I like to imagine his story, perhaps the first day of recovery or just down on his luck. Whatever the story, I read a deeper meaning to their meal. I see the Eucharist, Patton, and Chalice in its most ordinary form. This icon now hangs in my room in Washington, D.C., where I both work and study. But it originates from the time I lived in San Francisco, the luxurious home of companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Apple, where I purchased the icon so as not to forget the imbalance of wealth and in particular, the people who are homeless in the streets around me. Now living in what is arguably the most powerful city in the world, in times of pandemic and protests, praying with Dorothy and Jesus presents a new challenge. The numbers of COVID-19 and racial inequality do not lie. Nearly one million people have died from the virus globally. 20% of whom are from the United States. The projections are worse. It is expected by December, the numbers will hit an estimated 300,000 US deaths. We also know from the numbers that the distribution is skewed towards the vulnerable and that COVID-19 disproportionately affects people of color. For example, black and Latina people are three times as likely to become infected as white people and twice as likely to die. For Native American people, there is so much missing data that the true number may never be known, although experts suspect it is high. Predictably, the most vulnerable are the incarcerated, 
they are three times more likely to die and five times more likely to become infected than the general population. Typically, the economy is skewed too. The unemployment rate for black and Latina women has been disproportionately affected, peaking at 16.1% and 18.7% respectively, compared to 13.3% for white women. Do the numbers reveal anything that we do not already know? I suspect not. A quick pop quiz. People are more likely to die from COVID-19 if they A, work essential jobs that cannot be performed remotely, B, live in crowded housing, C, have chronic health conditions, no insurance, and unequal access to health care, D, have few assets and no savings to cover the cost of an emergency, or E, all of the above. The correct answer, E, all of the above, although any one of them could be lethal. No surprise, no trick question, the people who had these risk factors before the pandemic are the same people who become more likely to die from the coronavirus. Here is the inconvenient truth. Although the pandemic exposed the fault lines in society, it did not create them. The numbers were there from the beginning. The trend had already been set. It was just easier to ignore. In my former backyard of San Francisco, something similar is going on. There is a homelessness crisis year in the making. Today, the crisis is worse than ever. After the pandemic, the trend will continue. That is, unless something is done to reverse it. But the odds of reversal are slim to none, given the city's not in my backyardism, nimbyism. No one wants the homeless there, and who can blame them, right? That is the problem. As a Catholic priest, I do not pretend to absolve myself from this sin. In fact, I'm quite conflicted by it. After the killing of George Floyd, two Jesuits and I decided to participate in a Black Lives Matter protest in downtown San Francisco. It was my first time at a public event in months. I was unsure of what I would see. Two miles from my house, tents lined the streets. Three miles, they were everywhere. Impromptu encampments set up in the now empty parking lots to accommodate unmet needs. On the way to the protest, I waded through this forgotten sea of humanity, the smells being stronger than the ocean. Again, I was shocked, but not surprised. San Francisco has long struggled to contain this problem, particularly in an area known as the Tenderloin. Before the pandemic, the city proposed to build more navigation centers, places where those experiencing homelessness could access services, including temporary housing. But those plans were stalled due to the outcry of residents who objected. It was yet another example of Nimiism's strength. The protest was powerful. It felt right to be there. But when I returned to my room, the icon of Dorothy and the homeless Christ was staring me in the face and my enthusiasm waned. I recognize a familiar story for that day. 
It was the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I was the rich man, and I just did a whole lot of stepping over Lazarus to get to the protest. The fault lines of inequality exposed by the pandemic are exactly that, faults. They are the moral failings that each one of us must now confront. The irony of COVID-19 is that in order to protect others, we must practice social distancing. The same social practice has led us to the place we find ourselves today. Pandemics do not start as pandemics. They start as localized diseases that then spread at an exponential rate. Now there is a rush to develop a vaccine, which hopefully will end the pandemic by eradicating COVID-19. But what about the social conditions exposed by the virus? Will they also be eradicated or will they be ignored? What bothers me about that day in San Francisco is the juxtaposition between the protest and the encampments. There I was holding a Black Lives Matter sign protesting the killing of George Floyd and others, while a block away was a population of homeless people who were 37% black. How many times had I rallied against those NIMBY people for failing to see that what they were protesting against was already in their backyard? Now the plank is in my eye. Here I sit in Washington, D.C., socially distanced from those who are suffering. I wonder about the profile of the vulnerable in my new backyard. I am sure I could get the numbers, but do I know them? Are they my friends? Do I allow them to enter my heart? I do not want to step over them as I did in San Francisco. When I sit to pray, the icon of Dorothy stares me in the face. It challenges me to not only advocate for the vulnerable, but to break bread with them as well. Dorothy knew this was the only way things would change. She called it a revolution of the heart. When asked how this revolution might begin, she reportedly griped, everyone wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes. Then followed with, it has to start with each one of us. Doing the dishes in my own backyard this is how the revolution for systemic changes began.